Hey guys, we're gonna take a Father's Day weekend break in our power series. I'll be back next weekend. We're gonna talk about Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. What happened? Why did God do it? And does it have anything to do with you? Now this weekend, we're gonna celebrate our fathers. Thank you so much for being here. We are humbled, we are honored, and I gotta tell you, you're in for a special treat today. We have a guest speaker, Pastor Matt Miller and his wife, Jen, are from Kansas City, Missouri. They're from New City Church. Now, there's something special about that church because you were part of making it happen. Pastor Matt and Jen both used to be on staff here at Potential Church. They served in our student ministry and probably even impacted maybe even your life or the life of the person sitting next to you. Great, great folks, honored. Steph and I both just humbled to have them here. And I know, I was talking to Pastor Matt earlier this week, and he was preparing a special word just for here, just for you. You're not here by accident. God has got something incredible. It may be the best Father's Day weekend you ever experienced. So when Pastor Matt comes out in just a few moments, let's let him know we're really honored to have him here at Potential Church. Hey guys. Hi. Well, welcome. My name is Matt, as Pastor Troy said. Thank you for the whistle. I told him to wait in the car. But, um, man, it is an honor to be here. I, as Pastor Troy said, we have a history with this awesome church. I was on staff for almost 10 years here, about six years ago. It's been a long time since we've moved to Kansas City. Go Royals. Oh, you guys are probably more of a Marlins crowd, right? Hey, we just got our first taste of a World Series championship. So, you know, we got to kind of bleed blue in Kansas City. If I showed up in a Marlins shirt, I'd get beat up, right? But, man, it's an honor to be here. So on staff for almost 10 years, my wife, this was like her church, like entered the world, born, started coming to this church, right? And so, like, I'm listening to that song, Daddy, right? And I met my wife here. So as great of memories as I have, meeting my wife, Jen, she's right here. I won't have her stand up. Actually, I will. Jen, why don't you stand on up? You don't want to stand? Come on, Jen, you got to stand now. She's beautiful. This is a picture of our family right here. We have a twin little girls, Allie and Christy, and that's our five-year-old Luke. And, uh, man, if we'd have had him first, you might not see the girls, right? It's awesome. But I do want to say happy Father's Day to my father-in-law, John. Uh, he did a tremendous job, he and his wife, Terry, of raising Jen. I got a treasure. So, John, thank you. Happy Father's Day, brother. Good stuff. Not only did I meet my wife here, but you guys played a key role in helping me and my wife, Jen, plant New City Church. And so we planted New City about four and a half years ago, and Potential Church was financial partners with us for three and a half years of that journey. And what that allowed for us was to be able to have a full-time space. It allowed us to hire staff that maybe we couldn't have, and it eventually was a huge catalyst in us growing really fast. In four years, this small church that started out with my family and my best friend that moved from Arkansas with me, the Moinks family, those two families, in four years, we've seen over 200 people be baptized in Kansas City metro areas. Isn't that cool? I love that. Thank you for investing in us. A lot of the times when you are generous here, that generosity makes its way out into different parts of the country and even, even the world. So thank you. God has blessed us with a second location. 
And so we have two spots now. We're not as high tech, so we have a live teacher at every one of our locations, uh, developed a teaching team and that sort of thing. But man, God is doing a lot of fun things. And I'm curious if the partnership can continue in, in, in this specific way. In our neighborhood, I live in an area called Shawnee, Kansas, on the corner of 75th Street and Quivera, there is this big 200,000 square foot shopping center that's basically setting empty. And man, I just know that God has got a big dream for that place with New City Church. Now, what's interesting about this place when I do some research is it's owned by a trust. And this trust has hired a company to manage it. And that company is LNR Partners, Inc. And they're based out of Miami. All right. So Kansas City property managed by LNR Properties or Partners in Miami. And here is my request. If anybody here works at LNR, knows somebody at LNR, how I would love to meet you after service today just to talk and see what God might be trying to do through this Midwest guy and a South Florida rock star, all right? So you never know. You got to make the ask, right? You got to make the request. Been gone six years, so I don't know that many of you. How many of you guys have no idea who I am? Just raise your hand. Everybody, great. Glad you're here. Thanks for staying. And for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I don't know you that well because when you plant a church and when you have three small kids, you don't, your capacity shot. You don't have time for anything else. And so here's the assumption that I'm going to make tonight. You guys remember that old movie? I think it's kind of old. The Sixth Sense. Remember that movie? What was the line that little boy said? I see, yeah, I see dead people. I don't see dead people. Here's my line. I see halos. My assumption is I see halos. And so what I mean by that is this. I am making the assumption that you're here tonight because you want to grow in your knowledge and you want to grow in your love of God. Like, I'm not here tonight trying to convince you of something. I'm assuming that you're here because you want to love God more, you want to know more about God, and that's why you came to church today. So, if you got on horns, take them off. Go ahead. Some of you need to. I know your wife made you come, or you, maybe you made your wife show up tonight and take out your little halo and put it on and say, I'm going to learn something about God tonight, all right? So here we're going to do this. We're going to be, now Troy said, Pastor Troy said we're taking a break from the power series. Actually, I'd like to keep us in it. And I want to talk about some tension that I see in the scripture between these two illustrations tonight. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. So those of you joining this online, those of you at all of the campuses, man, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Here is the context for tonight's scripture. It is the day of Pentecost. And all of these Jewish folks have shown up to Jerusalem because the day of Pentecost was an assigned holy day that God gives the people of Israel. And part of the requirement of that day was that they had to make sure that they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem if they didn't live there to show up at the temple for this day of worship. And it's on this day that the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples. At the time there were 11, Judas had taken his own life after uh, turning Jesus over to the authorities, and so you have 11 disciples there. And on this day, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and when that happens, they stand up and start speaking in different languages. And I said that all of these Jewish people from surrounding areas had had to come to Jerusalem for this, uh, to the temple to worship, and some of them spoke different languages. And all of a sudden, they're hearing their original language being spoken by these simple type of men. 
It's the Bible says that they're actually baffled. They're confused by what's going on. They don't quite understand it. But other people start making accusations and saying, oh, these guys are just simply drunk. And you see Peter in great boldness. He stands up and he gives the first ever Sunday morning sermon. And in the midst of this sermon, Peter makes this statement. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That word Messiah could easily be substituted for the word Savior. And Peter says, listen, this Jesus, know for certain, is two things. He is both Lord and Savior. Tonight I have two illustrations. I have the cross and I have a throne. And they're going to represent Savior and they're going to represent the idea of Lordship. And here is kind of the uh, thesis of tonight's message, today's message, is this. You typically, we typically fall one way more firm than the other. Like some of us in this room are going to connect way more that Jesus is Savior, while others of us are going to fall way more in line with Jesus as Lord. And my hope and my goal is that we form this great rhythm, maybe this beautiful learned dance of how Jesus can be both things, both things in our life. So let's kind of jump in here and, uh, and see what God might want to say to us this, this day. So first, if you want to fill in your blanks, is this. We're going to start with Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. Now, this is critically important to the life of the Christian. Every person who wants to become a Christ follower, there's fundamental theology that it is on the cross that Jesus saves us, that Jesus reconciles us, that Jesus makes us back in alignment with God the Father. Now, some of us have a mixed up theology when it comes to the cross. We think that Jesus on the cross is a Mr. Clean magic eraser, okay? You guys know what this does, right? This will clean anything. Like, there's nothing this thing can't clean. It's amazing. And some of us think that Jesus on the cross is this, and he gets out his Mr. Clean magic eraser, and he goes to work on all of your poor decisions. He erases that thing you did when you were 18. He erases and scrubs away that first marriage when you thought you were in love but you weren't. He erases that bankruptcy. He erases that debt. He makes all of these things that you're not so proud of, he just magically makes them go away. And that's what some of you are expecting. And some of you, to be honest, are a little frustrated at God because the thing is still there. And you said yes to this Jesus as Savior. Jesus is not Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. Jesus is more like super glue. Now, I was going to use crazy glue, but I don't think Jesus is crazy. And then I was going to use Gorilla Glue, but we don't want to use glue that's made out of gorillas because gorillas are kind of a hot topic right now. And we all know that that's not made out of gorillas anyway, right? It's made from horses. So anyway, um, super strength glue. What Jesus does in our lives is he takes all the broken, shattered pieces, the decisions that we've made, the things in our life that have happened because of decisions someone else has made, and he doesn't sweep them away like they never happened, scrub them away like they never happened. No, 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 no. He puts them together and he begins to reconcile all the broken things in our life. And some of us are waiting for God to do this completely new thing. Actually, what God does is he puts the old things together and he, and, and he does it in such a way where people look at your life and they go, that is not possible. 
You should be a, a bag of mess in the corner, completely falling apart. There, is, there should be no way that you should be able to be standing, that you should be able to be functioning, that you should be any type of success. But that's the beautiful thing about supernatural Jesus as he reconciles, he puts back together all the broken parts of your life. Why? Through the power of the cross. God loved you so much that while you were breaking stuff, while you were making a mess of your life, he sent Jesus to you. He's a good, good father. And he takes up all the mess that you and I make and the things that people bring in our life and he puts it back together and what was once broken. And we can still see the cracks. But man, all of a sudden you are of use again. And we say, how did it happen? Oh, oh, it wasn't me. I got to give all the praise and glory to Jesus. It's all him. I like this little statement if you want to fill this in. Everyone in this room, let's make it personal, you deserve to get zapped. But instead you got saved. Man, what a mess you had made of your life. And yet God loved you. While you were still sinners, Jesus went to the cross and he gave up his life so that you and I might be reconciled back to the Father. Jesus is our great Savior. Now let's swing over this way. Peter also says that not only is Jesus Savior, he's also the Lord. Now that word Lord is not a word that you and I use in our everyday language. So let's insert this word. We all know this word. Jesus is boss. How many of you have a boss? Nobody works here. That's amazing. Okay, very cool. So great. Who has a boss? There we go. Thank you for playing along. Who is the boss in your, like in your workplace? That's cool, right? But no matter which hand went up, the truth is Jesus is our boss. He is the ultimate authority in our life. Here's what Jesus is not. Jesus is not president. Some of us think that, that we get a vote. And it's like we sit with Jesus on the throne and we discuss things. Right? Hey, no, 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 no. He's boss. He's authority. Now, some of you go, I don't want to do that. Listen, you don't, then you, listen, you don't have to. Just leave your halo at the door. Put your horns back on. Go about your way. But if he's Savior, he's also the Lord of our life. Now, let's think about this. In all seriousness, this idea of Jesus as boss, the lordship of Jesus in our life, has been completely compromised in our culture. All right? Again, I get to leave here tonight, so some of you, I'm going to step on some of your toes, and that's totally okay, because like I said, I'm getting on a cruise ship Monday. Some of us have allowed our culture and our own thinking and our own emotions completely compromise the lordship of Jesus. And we do think that it's the suggestions that he says, and it's offers that he makes. But, in, but actually, there's more to it. If you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, notice what Paul writes. He says this to us. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You are not the boss of you. Because of what was paid on the cross. See, if we were able to have the real cross, what would you would see about the real cross of Jesus is the blood that was left there. The blood that was shed so that you and I could be reconciled. And it's because of that blood that happened at the Savior Jesus' cross that we should naturally say, absolutely, sir, what can I do for you? Actually, let me give you two words that is a great response for every follower of Jesus. And they're two simple words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
And it's as simple as when you feel your temper rising and words coming out of your mouth that you know don't align with the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus, and you just have that sense from the Holy Spirit that you need to shut up. Yes, Lord. Even though everything in you wants to let them have it, and you got the facts and you're going to communicate the facts. No, 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 no. It goes through the press of speak the truth in love. Yes, Lord. Those of you who have been hurt greatly, maybe by your father, your earthly father, and you come across those scriptures where Jesus says, forgive. He doesn't say think about forgiving or you should consider forgiveness. He says forgive. And as hard as it is, you say, you know what? Yes, Lord, I'm going to take steps towards forgiveness, although I know it's going to be a hard and difficult journey. Yes, Lord. For those of us who are fathers in the room today, and we're trying very earnestly to be great dads, and to love our kids, and to raise our children in the right way. And man, sometimes it's so easy to check out and become selfish and self-concerning, but to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to put the work in, and I'm going to be a great dad, a dad that my kids can look to for all of their life. Man, you were bought with a price. And so we simply say, yes, Lord. Got a question for us. In scriptures or in Christian theology, we have this idea that is truth, that this is not our final destination, that when you and I breathe our last, we're going to go to a place called heaven. Sometimes it's referred to as the city of God. That one day, we're going to be with all the saints, all the people we read about in scriptures, and all these people who have followed Jesus, that we're going to be in one place together forever and ever and ever. Here's my question for us. When we get there, who do you think is going to be in charge? Whose will will be done? Will it be your will or God's will? Just tell your neighbor what you think the answer might be. Your will or God's will? It's a trick question. We all know the answer, right? Jesus actually tells us this. Look at with me in Matthew chapter 6. This is where Jesus is kind of given this prayer. And he says this. It's a famous prayer, by the way. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, hey, guys, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May, would you read that with me? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's going to come a day when the complete authority of God is going to be completely recognized in our life. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have this hypothesis that sometime in the future, a lot of Christians are going to enter into heaven. And they're going to be completely surprised by the behavior of the saints. I think people are going to walk into heaven and they're going to see how things are done. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, I mean, you guys don't yell up here? And there's no Facebook? I can't tell you what I'm thinking? Right? Listen, may it not be so with us. I mean, seriously, may we start practicing now what will one day be in perfection there. How might it look like in your life if you said, you know what, when I get to heaven, I will not be surprised by the behavior of the saints because I understand what Jesus asked of me today and I'm going to begin to practice what Jesus preached and I'm going to begin to say the words, have the attitude, have the thinking that God has asked me to have so that when I get to my final eternal resting place, when I'm with Jesus face to face, I'm not going to have to be a steep learning curve because I've acted like a crazy person on planet earth. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Man, start practicing right now. You like that? Could our world not use some good practicing Jesus followers? I mean, just seriously. Like, how many people are confessing Christians who live crazy lives 
are going to get to heaven and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. What do you mean you had no idea? You had God's word and you completely ignored it. The tension between he's my savior, oh, I love Jesus, but the difficulty with he is my Lord. Now let's talk about that tension. Let's look at both of these. I said earlier that you typically lean more heavily to one than the other. Let's start with Jesus as Savior. For those of us in the room, those of us watching online at one of our campuses, we typically um, love this space. And you might, uh, you, you love the forgiveness that the cross provides in your life. And you love the grace that the cross of Jesus provides. Like you, it just, you love to celebrate it. You love songs about it. You know scriptures. And you thank God all the time about sending his son and what his forgiveness has meant to you. Because, man, what a mess you had made. And you love the grace. And you love the forgiveness. Others of us in the room, we relate here over here to the lordship. And you, you're kind of more of a black and white, a little gray in your life. I mean, you love the, the, the truth that is in Scripture. Like, you love the truth. And you also love the holy lifestyle. Like, you, you're comfortable with people looking to you on how to flesh out Scripture in your life. Like, you're comfortable with the truth and the holy. I and mean, that's what you strive for. Now, let's talk about maybe some of the negatives in this. Back here on the cross, if you're a person who loves the grace and you love the forgiveness, you might, you might find yourself apologizing a lot for your behavior. You may be saying, you may find a lot of times in your life that a lot of your prayers start or are a lot heavy with you saying, God, I know I shouldn't have done that, but man, I, I'm so sorry. And, I, and, I, and we confuse this idea of sorry with theological repentance. And we, we man, we're so grateful for the grace. And you depend on it because you need it all the time because you just kind of, you, you, you tend to struggle with obedience. Because you know that God's going to forgive you because he kind of has to. That's what the scriptures say. And our understanding, man, you just cling to the cross. And some of you are here and you're spiritually frustrated. And no matter how much you cry and how much you plead with God, your situations don't sip, uh, are, are not easily changing. And so you're just kind of aggravated. But man, Lord, please do this for me. Over here at this side, the lordship, the boss, man, we're angry. Oh, my gosh, this world. Can you believe, this is kind of, I, I lean more this way, right? Lord, help me. I can't watch the news right now, right? I have to just like barely get on social media because I just get so, do you know how weird Christians are? Over here, if you're not careful, you get puffed up and you get prideful and you almost look like a Pharisee. And man, if every other person could live just like you, how the world would be a better place, right? But if we're not careful, oh my goodness, we forget the fact that we do stupid stuff all the time. We, we, we just, we, all of a sudden we're doing our, our best to live a holy life and then we lose our cool at work. We say something bad to our parents or to our children. And we beat ourselves up because we don't understand that he is our Savior who reconciles us. Do you see the rhythm? Do you see the tension that needs to happen here? What if this took place? And I've used word choice very importantly. And I want you to notice two scriptures. If you're here and you lean heavily on Jesus is the Savior and you love the grace, well, notice John 1.17. But grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. Man, that he is all grace, but he's also all truth. He is both things. How does it look like for you to lean on the truth if you're here? That there is the scripture, God's word is the truth in your life. 
It's not an idea. It's not a suggestion. It's the truth, and he is expected that you step into that and let it impact you. For you over here who love the truth, man, to understand the grace. What does grace mean? It's the undeserved gift. That you're not expected to be perfect. Does God want you to follow his ways? Absolutely. But you will trip and stumble at times. But there's a scripture that says, even when you do, you will not fall because God holds your hand. Psalms 37. And it's okay. Some of us dads in the room, hey, we're on one knee. You're not face first on the ground making a complete mess of your life. Because why? You're holding the hand of Savior Jesus who will reconcile you and pull you out of the mess. It's a great rhythm. What about those of us who love forgiveness? And we're always clinging and trusting Jesus for forgiveness. Well, don't forget this story that's found in John chapter 8, verse 10. It's the woman who was caught in adultery. Not the woman who was heard about in adultery, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And some leaders, some Pharisee leaders bring her to Jesus, and they're going to stone her because that's what the law required. And what does Jesus do? He says, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. And it says, starting with the oldest in the crowd, he dropped his rock and he walked away. And as they're walking away, notice what Jesus says to the woman who was left there. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I forgiveness go and sin no more truth. Some of us know almost all of that story. Oh, see, Jesus doesn't condemn you. But notice what he says to the young lady. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Next time, I may not be here to save you. Next time, it may cost you your life. Next time, the consequences may be more than you can bear. Does Jesus forgive? Oh, my goodness, does he forgive us. He is so gracious. But there is an expectation that he has on each of our lives that we follow him as the boss, and as the Lord. And my observation is this, and I kind of want to maybe leave us with two final thoughts for you to consider. One is an observation, and one is maybe a, a source of encouragement. But I, I think most people go this way, and very few go this way. And, and we just don't, it, it's amazing to me. I've been in ministry for a long time and talked to a lot of people. And then I have my own spiritual journey that I've been walking. You know, Matt Miller trying to figure out what it looks like to radically love Jesus. And it, it's amazing to me how much of my life I spent thanking Jesus for his love and his grace and his forgiveness, but yet not changing the direction of my life. How much of my life was spent praying in real honest prayer, asking God to change my circumstances so that my life would be easier. And not once saying, Jesus, what do I need to change to fall in line with what you're doing? And that's how a lot of us pray, right? We, we plead with God to change him, to change her, to change it, to change them, to change the situation so that it'll be easier for us to cope, to us to walk, for us to go, rather than saying, God, what is about me that needs to change so that I can be better in line with your will? That is the lordship question. God, what are you saying to me? Notice this scripture. I love this scripture. It's a key scripture in the church I pastor back in Kansas City. It's John 14, 15. Notice this. What does Jesus say? If you love me, go to church more. Is that what it says? If you love me, give more money. 
If you love me, pray harder. If you love me, hug your kids. If you love me, no, 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 it doesn't seem to those things. If you love me, obey my commandments. Will you guys read that with me so that you can no longer say, oh, I didn't know that, right? Ready? One, two, three. If you love me. Now, here's the problem. We love Jesus like we love Taco Bell, like we love a good steak, like we love winning stuff. Oh, I just love, 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 love. Could I give us a different word for just a moment? How might your following Jesus look different if we said this? If you're loyal to me, obey my commandments. This may sound weird, but how I wish more Jesus followers were loyal to Jesus rather than love him. Because love has just been watered down so much. I mean, some of you, you say you love somebody, and two weeks ago it was somebody else. That word has just been so watered down, it carries very little meaning. But when I'm loyal, I mean, it's hard to be loyal to the, 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 uh, who am I? The Royals and wear a St. Louis Cardinals jersey. Or to wear, it's hard to say, you know what? I am a cane, baby. And then you put on a gator shirt. What in the world is wrong with you? That makes no sense. But yet spiritually we do it all the time. Can I tell you why? I want you to grab some flesh. Now, don't grab it down here because this make you feel bad. Just grab it right up here, right up, right up here, all right? All right? Come on, go ahead. You need to do this. This stuff right here, this skin, sounds a lot like sin because this stuff will typical, typically pull you away from following God. Your flesh is going to typically take you in a direction opposite of the authority and the salvation that Jesus provides. And it's going to tell you that you need it. It's going to tell you that you want it. And it's going to tell you you've got to have it. And it screams at your life. And that is why it is so important that we have this great rhythm between Savior and Lord. Because Jesus gives us the ability to say no to ourselves and yes to him. How interesting is it that we say we love Jesus and we're so grateful for what he has done for us, but yet we don't ask him about our life. We don't ask him about our career. He has no authority on our parenting, on our marriage, on our finances, but oh, how we love him. We trust him that we're going to get to heaven. We just don't trust him with our checkbook. It makes no sense to me, right? It makes no sense. So what would it look like? What would it look like if you and I actually took the time? Oh my gosh, this is going to blow your mind, right? If when we encounter something in life that we don't understand, Like if you're tired of having budget issues, if you're tired of being financially frustrated, what would it look like if you actually sought out in Scripture God's biblical principles concerning you and your generosity? Notice I didn't say money. You want to get your budget in line? Figure out generosity, and God will take care of your budget. Promise you. But what if you slowed down on all the Walking Dead and all of the this, this reality show and this talk show and this sports show, and you said, you know what, God, what do you say about this real-life situation? And then all of a sudden, align your life to what God says and watch Jesus begin to glue it all back together. I'm telling you, there is power in the Lord, Savior, Jesus. And the quicker you figure out that rhythm of what God is saying to you and what he offers for you, here's what I love about Jesus. He actually works. He actually works. Like when you actually do the things that Jesus teaches and commands, you will be amazed by how his supernatural power goes to work through your life and things begin to change. You will be amazed at the relationships that are restored. You'll be amazed how you are restored, how you can be found. Some of you don't, some of you need spiritual healing, emotional healing, like you're hurt. 
You don't have a broken arm. You're not a sling. But man, does your heart have scars? I'm telling you, man, Jesus speaks to those things. Just my observation. You don't have to do anything with that. But here's the second thing, my encouragement as I close. I got two things there. These are questions that we ask every week at New City Church. First one is this. What is God saying to you? Tonight, right at this moment, today, what is God saying to you? Was there one of these scriptures that I gave that just kind of jumped out and slapped you in the back of the head? Was there a statement that was made that just really kind of poked at your heart and at your soul and at your very being? If so, write that down in the notes section. That's God's Holy Spirit trying to communicate about a very specific issue of your life. Here's the second question. What are you going to do about it? Great mistakes in churches all the time is a people who hear from God and then do nothing with it. Notice my quote, last thing. The worst decision you can make is to hear from God and then do nothing with it. How many times in my, gosh, 15, 17 years of doing this type of thing, if I had people come up and say, man, Matt, it's like that message was right for me. It was. Now, don't go outside and turn on your radio and forget what God said. Don't get lost in Netflix. Don't get lost in the evening news. Stop and say, God, what do you want me to do with what you just said to me? Some of you are in the crazy circle. And you've been in it for a long time because God keeps telling you something and you get emotional and you cry, but yet you never put a plan into place to activate his word of truth into your life that will change the direction that you're currently walking. Newsflash. No person can walk in two directions at the same time. At every moment of your life, you're either taking steps towards God or away from him. Do not fool yourself any longer on this nonsense. Man, let today be the day. Today be the day that you not only hear, but you do what the Lord is asking you of this moment. And please don't get caught up with four moves ahead. Don't start, just what is God saying to you right now? Step that through, walk that through before you worry about the next thing. God is a great, great father. And he will direct your path. I'm telling you this, he will direct your path. He will give you the steps and the word that you need to reconcile and to walk through and to lead every situation of your life. Man, I love being a daddy. I love it. My son Luke, last night we're at grandma and grandpa's house and he found out there was Gatorade. He won't Gatorade, right? There wasn't a whole lot of Gatorade left, maybe just this much in, a, in, a, in the jug. And it was gone pretty quick. And he's losing his mind. I'm like, bro, between daddy and Papa John, we can get you more Gatorade than you never drink. Your father, when it comes to freak out moments when there doesn't seem to be enough Gatorade, can I just tell you, man, God's got this. If nothing else, God's got this. Thank you, Lord, that you're my Savior and help me step into the fact that you're the boss of my life. And it's a beautiful dance. It's a beautiful dance. It's a beautiful dance. And I'm telling you, when you do those things, when you, when you learn it, all of a sudden, one day when you breathe your last and you're seeing Jesus face to face and you go into heaven, you're going to fit right in. You're going to fit right in. There's going to be no learning curve. You got this. Here's how I want to close. I want to pray over you. If you'd let this Midwesterner pray over you in the room here in Cooper City, over those at our campuses online. And honestly, it's just a prayer that we would be obedient 
to our Savior and our Lord. Amen? And so all, you, all I ask you to do is to receive it. And what I mean by that is, as I pray for you, would you just say, yes, Lord? Have your way with me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Not because it's spiritual, but just so you won't be looking around. Father, thank you for the men and women, for the young people who are in this room tonight, for those who are at the campuses on this Sunday morning. God, I pray for them, Lord, that you would just simply, simply, you're already doing it, maybe this, that they would acknowledge your leadership in their life, that they would acknowledge the Savior and they would acknowledge the Lordship and that we would be a good follower of Jesus, a faithful, a loyal follower. Father, I pray that over the men and women at all campuses, they would receive that, that their faith would be encouraged, that their doubt would be wiped away, and they would step into obedience of who you are. And may, because of that, our friends and our family and our children and our parents see the true work of our one and only Jesus. God, have your way. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.